Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get into today's episode, recapping Washington's loss on Sunday Night Football to the New York Giants, as always, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs with first to market odds and lines. Whether you're looking to place a bet on the NFL, college basketball, the NBA, NHL, all your betting needs can be found at Bet Online. So head on over to the website today and use your mobile device, your first, to get 50% off your first deposit using our promo code believe 50 that's b-l-e-a-v again to get 50 percent off your first deposit bet online where the game starts all right ladies and gentlemen i have a lot uh, a lot of thoughts to get into today um frustrating is the best word to use following washington's 20 to 12 loss to the giants last night moving them washington to seven six and one Moving from the sixth seed in the NFC to now the seventh seed. Not out of it, but a tougher road now. San Francisco on the horizon this Sunday on Christmas Eve. Then you play Cleveland. Then you end the season against the Dallas Cowboys. Last night was tough. It's tough. Well, this is a going to be a one of the longer episodes of the year. I have a ton of thoughts offensively, defensively. I'm not going to spend the whole episode talking about the refs. I will, I will talk about the stripes. We have to. Had a major outcome in that game yesterday, not just the illegal formation with Terry McLaurin. Well, quote-unquote, the illegal formation with Terry McLaurin. The obvious DPI of Curtis Samuel on fourth and goal. Or earlier in the game, with a quote-unquote illegal rub route that all other 31 NFL clubs run, that Washington gets called on back on that two-point conversion that ends up being then trying to convert an extra point that Joey Sly misses. This is going to be a deep episode. I want to get into everything with you guys. There's, a, there's the biggest game in Washington's franchise history since 2020 and arguably one of the biggest games at home because the fans weren't there to see Washington lose to Tampa Bay in the wildcard playoffs in 2020. So this is one of the bigger games in five, six years. And you got two weeks to prepare... And you score 12 points. That's where I'm starting today. This was an offense that just faced this same defense. Dory Jackson didn't play in week 13, didn't play last night. You scored 12 points. You had three drives that got into Giants territory in that first half. You scored three points. You didn't involve Terry McLaurin until the second half. Really, Jahan Dotson or Curtis Samuel in the passing game until the second half. You allowed two, in two consecutive weeks, you allowed a strip sack inside your own shot or your own goal line. Week 13 was Aziz Dojolari. This week was Kayvon Thibodeau running around Charles Leno like he's not even there. Strip sack, recovering for a touchdown. You held the ball that entire first quarter, but you're down 7-3. You can't put it in the end zone. Limitations on offense, something that we've talked about all year long, were overwhelmingly apparent yesterday. Brian Robinson, 12 carries, 89 yards on nearly seven and a half yards a carry. He had 12 attempts, folks. 
12 attempts. And sometimes, I don't know why, but every time Washington gets inside the 10-yard line of the opposition, Brian Robinson's on the sideline. Brian Robinson disappears. Brian Robinson's not in the game plan. I don't understand that concept from Scott Turner right now. Brian Robinson was fantastic yesterday. He's been fantastic really since he's been active this whole entire season. And really, more so, he's become one of the top young backs in the NFL. Because he's not running behind a overwhelmingly dominant front five. I think we know that. Wes Schweitzer's at center yesterday. Trey Turner's back at right guard. We obviously saw the concerns that Cornelius Lucas and Charles Leno had, especially in protection yesterday. I thought Andrew Norwell did an okay job at left guard. Sam Cosby's not on the field. Chase is not on the field. We know we don't have a Trent Williams-like figure out at left tackle anymore. Brian Robinson averaged almost eight yards a carry yesterday. And the biggest thing, looking at the snap counts, Antonio Gibson had 38 offensive snaps, good for 60% of the offensive workload. Brian Robinson had 24, or 38% of the offensive workload. There is no excuse for Antonio Gibson at this point in time. Whether you want to pitch me the fact, the elevator pitch of, ah, he's a third down back, he offers more in the passing game. I thought Brian Robinson, especially in that first series, that long run, carved out in the flat and made a play. He's decent hands. Better in pass pro than Antonio Gibson, I'll tell you that, when he's had to stay in and take care of a blitzing linebacker up the A and B gaps. I'll tell you that. He did that well at Alabama. Now he's done it well in the NFL. But there is no reason for Antonio Gibson to out-snap Brian Robinson. Again, Antonio Gibson had 38 offensive snaps. Brian Robinson had 24. And when Brian Robinson was on the field, he had 12 carries. So 50% of his offensive snaps, he got a, run, he got a carry. But 12 carries in that ball game and the way that he was running the football is not enough. It's not enough. That game came down to possessions here and possessions there. A strip sack touchdown by Thibodeau. You work back into the second half. Taylor Heineke fumbling inside the 15. It just can't happen. It cannot happen. Two weeks to prepare for this defense. Again, another game where Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner were completely irrelevant. Right now, those three talents are extensions of the offensive line. And I know it's been back-to-back years where Washington has used day three picks on tight ends. In 2021, it was John Bates out of Boise State. And this past year, it was a fifth-rounder, Cole Turner, from Nevada, who was supposed to be a big target over the middle of the field. Possibly a you know, guy that's stepping in the door for Logan Thomas on his way out. But watching Logan Thomas run routes yesterday looked like he was in quicksand. The dude's moving like he's an office chair on carpet. He can't move! There was no threat yesterday over the middle of the field, that 10 to 15-yard area, to hit a tight end. Daniel Jones tried it a couple times with Daniel Bellinger. But for us, there is no threat at the tight end position right now. No threat. Logan Thomas was the only tight end targeted yesterday. Three targets, one catch, six yards. Hell of a day. Thanks for showing up, 82. Thanks for showing up. It's not enough. And we understand the limitations that this offense has with Taylor Heineke. And I talked about it in the pod on Thursday, previewing this game. I would like to see Taylor Heineke be more of an athlete. They did that a little bit last night. I 
a couple times with Kayvon Thibodeau really coming down the line of scrimmage hard, kind of retracing his steps, shuffling his feet. Oh, it's Taylor Heineke out the backside. They did that a couple times nicely yesterday, but not until he had a strip sack for a touchdown, not until the third or fourth series. Show it on the first series. Allow him to be an athlete. Heck, Taylor Heineke almost had a signature pylon dive touchdown last night. But the limitations are still there with this offense. 12 points is not going to cut it. As a defense, allowing 20 for the second consecutive game puts you in a position in 2022 NFL football where teams are scoring 30-plus a week in a position to win a football game. I was disappointed that Chase Young didn't play yesterday. That's something that we need to talk about moving forward. What exactly is going on there? Is he going to play this year? Who the hell knows? Because whatever we're hearing out of Ashburn, eh, yeah, he's, he's going to play this week. He's had a good week of practice. His knee's feeling good. It's going to be at home, juiced up, ready to play. Didn't happen. Benjamin St. Juice, we heard all week. He was feeling good. The ankle was feeling better, looked good in practice. Didn't, pra- didn't play last night. We saw the Giants just dink and dunk their way down the field. That 93-yard drive that they had, Daniel Jones probably broke the record for the most five-yard comeback routes I've ever seen in my life. It was consistently three-yard hitches, hitting Isaiah Hodgins here, hitting Darius Slayton here, hitting Richie James here, hitting Saquon out of the backfield. RPO, run with Daniel Jones for seven yards. That was their game plan yesterday. They weren't allowing Washington's front four and John Allen and Deron Payne and Montez Sweat to pin their ears back and get after him. So from an offensive perspective for the Giants yesterday with offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, they did a really nice job adjusting from what they did in week 13 to now. Quick three-step pitches. Washington could only rush four. They weren't able to create pressure. They weren't sending blitzes. When you don't get pressure, you have to create your own pressure. And when you send extra bodies, your guys on the outside and Kendall Fuller and Danny Johnson, that's who it was on the perimeter last night. Why are you seven yards off? If you know they're running these little five-yard dig routes, why are you seven yards off? Get two yards off the line of scrimmage. Get in their face at the line of scrimmage. Make them feel you. Allow that front four to just have an extra couple ticks of time to get in Daniel Jones' face. Because again, that 93-yard drive, five-yard completion here, six yards here, four yards here, six yards here, nine yards here. The back end of that drive, 11-yard completion, 19-yard completion Isaiah Hodgins. There was no pressure last night and no simulated pressures for Daniel Jones to face because Washington didn't send any blitzers. Why? Because Jack Del Rio is not confident with the guys on the outside to obviously cover their guys for more than two seconds. Very limited work as far as blitzing from a Derek Forrest in the box or Jamin Davis, John Bostic, David Mayo. David Mayo played limited snaps yesterday, but when he was out there, it was not good. Same with John Bostic. We know what John Bostic is as a linebacker. This is another year. After last year, we're saying, oh, John Bostic's got to get out of here. He's played the whole year with Cole Holcomb out. But four-man pressures last night wasn't enough to cut it. There were a couple times there were had a couple holding calls from Evan Neal on Montez Sweat, who had a couple pressures in his face. You know, but overall, you know, Washington didn't have any sacks yesterday. Not a single sack. Some pressures here and there, but and any time, sending five, sending six, sending seven, 
forcing Daniel Jones off his spot. They didn't have any long play action, five-step drops, seven-step hitches, looking down the field, targeting Isaiah Hodgins 50 yards down the field. A couple times what Washington did with Deami Brown, Jahan, and Terry. Everything was in the quick game. And I will get into the San Francisco 49ers and their offense led by, quote-unquote, Mr. Irrelevant, who's led them to uh, a winning streak and, and behind uh, the league's best defense. I'll get w- into their offensive game plan that's going to be very similar to what the Giants did on Sunday on Thursday's podcast, previewing Commanders 49ers at Levi Stadium out in the Bay on Sunday afternoon. But the Giants did a really good job of countering Washington's pass rush yesterday, and there was no adjustments made on the defensive side of the ball. But overall, in the grand scheme of things, you only allowed 20 points. And the Giants were 2-for-10 on third down. 20% conversion rate on third down. Time of possession was about even. Giants had 30 minutes. Washington had 29 minutes of possession. But you look at the missed opportunities yesterday for Washington consistently not being able to put the ball in the end zone. They get past the 25-yard line, and the whole offense shuts down. There's no run game. You get holding penalties, moving yourself back to where you're 2nd and 15, 3rd and 20. You're missing field goals. You're missing extra points. You're getting plays called back from the refs. I mean, you look back to that fourth quarter drive. That beautiful ball to Jahan Dotson down the seam. Hell of a play. I think one thing's for sure is that we understand that Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin are going to be studs in D.C. for a long time. But we got to get somebody at the quarterback position. And this is a question that we ask ourselves Every damn season. Because coming into the year, it was Carson Wentz. Then he gets injured. Now it's Taylor Heineke. Now we're talking about the limitations that he has after we just scored 12 points in the biggest game of the year. Heineke was 17 for 29 for 249 yards and touchdown. Didn't throw any picks, but fumbled twice. Now, we can blame a lot of that on the offensive line. I don't want to blame every turnover, especially fumbles by the quarterback on the offensive line, but that turnover inside the 15-yard line when you're going to get points in the second half of that ball game, you cannot turn over the ball. And more so, you cannot be the reason, Taylor Heineke, that Washington loses football games. The only game so far this year that he was the reason that they lost football game was Minnesota and throwing that pick to Harrison Smith. Now last night, big reason losing that football game was because of Taylor Heineke. He's been a great story, folks. But the NFL is a business. And wins keep people around. And potential, the potential of Taylor Heineke to lead you to a game-winning drive, to lead you to a playoff berth, potential gets coaches fired. I want to say that again. Potential of players, the potential of someone being something... Gets people fired in this league. Taylor Heineke at quarterback through the air is more of a flash in the pan guy. There is no consistency when he is under center, making throws down the field. Couple nice throws here and there. That's it. You look at that last play when Curtis Samuels being hugged in the end zone. Terry McLaurin breaks free from his double coverage. If Taylor Heineke has 
any sort of above average arm strength to pump that throw on a rope, he could pump that into Terry's chest because Curtis Samuel's got the guy on his back. He's not getting around Curtis Samuel. He could pump that throw into Terry McLaurin on that play. That's something that has not been talked about. But if he has any above average arm strength, I know I think Sam Howell makes that throw, to be completely honest with you. I think Carson Wentz makes that throw. Now, we can go into all the optics as far as, oh, Carson Wentz doesn't move like Taylor Heineke. I agree. And there are all those little things that go into as far as the offensive line not holding up and pass pro last night. Carson Wentz would have been a statue. I agree. But I'm just talking from an arm talent perspective to pump it out to the receivers that Washington has. You got studs on the outside. Curtis Samuel, by the way, let's stop turning him into a running back, please. Third and three with Brian Robinson running hot and you run him up the gut. Explain that. It doesn't make sense, folks. Conceptually, that does not make sense. Fake it to him a couple times. Get him out in space. That's what Curtis Samuel is. Not trying to be tricky against Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams up the interior when you got bodies like Wes Schweitzer, Andrew Norwell, and Trey Turner that are average within the interior on your fourth center this week, or excuse me, this year. Give it to Brian Robinson on third and three. Every time that kid gets the ball, he's churning five, six yards. If he gets hit at the line of scrimmage, he's still falling forward for three. He gets hit 10 yards downfield, he's pushing for 14. We saw yesterday him get rattled behind the line of scrimmage three yards behind. He may turn it into a two-yard gain. Brian Robinson's always falling forward. Third and three with nearly, if you combine Gibson and Robinson, nearly 500 pound of man. And they're on the sideline and you give it to Curtis Samuel on third and three up the gut? A couple times we got tricky yesterday. I'm tired of seeing Logan Thomas go in motion as a lead blocker. Cole Turner. These guys aren't dominant blockers. These guys aren't the Kyle Juszczyk's of the world. The Mike Allstotts. See how Michael Burton is used in Kansas City? Or even a Taysom Hill in New Orleans as an athletic guy that can move bodies as an athlete but also be a weapon? We don't have that on the roster. You even look back to the days that Washington's had with Mike Sellers and Darrell Young. We don't have that on the roster. Both those guys that I mentioned in Sellers or Young are more athletic right now than Cole Turner and John Bates and Logan Thomas. Armani Rodgers has been a sneaky, huge loss for this team after being put on IR a few weeks ago. A guy that transferred from the quarterback position at Ohio University and got opportunities this year, and he's athletic. Washington's missed that at the tight end spot as a flex weapon. That's a position that I would not be surprised if they make a move this offseason to get another potential weapon there because those three aren't cutting it. The main issues yesterday... And the main story was missed opportunities for this ball club. And really, it's what we've been talking about for the longest time. Because it comes back and it all correlates to the quarterback position. Having a guy that you can win games because of. You've won games with Taylor Heineke. You've won games with him. Not because of. And last night, you lost games because of Taylor Heineke. You just, you can't turn the ball over in those situations. You got to be able to pump some throws here and there. Athletically, I want him to create a little more. Not be a robot even in his reads. 
He missed a few guys wide open last night. You look at that first series. He gets, he gets, he gets guys in his face. We have Jahan Dotson running on a go ball straight down the middle of the field. No one there. A couple extra ticks. He's able to make that throw. Jahan Dotson in the flat on a later series. Wide open. I talked about Terry McLaurin on that fourth and goal. Pumping that throw into his chest at the front side of the goal line. It just doesn't have the ability to do that. It's a flash in the pan with him and not consistency. And I talked about it on prior pods, how this, this stretch of games, this last month of the season, these last four games, how it was going to be a huge test for Heineke in his evaluation period. Last night wasn't good. The numbers are okay. 17 for 29, again, 250 yards and a touchdown. But you look at what he didn't do, what he wasn't able to accomplish, not leading this offense to points. That's Washington, how they lost this football game. Washington could have easily scored 30 points in this ball game. Now, I'm not asking them to score touchdowns 100% of their red zone drives. But what I am asking is when you get inside the 30s is to consistently score points. That's what I'm asking. You have to score points in this league to ultimately reach your performance ceiling. You have the guys on the outside, and it correlates with the quarterback position with their success. But it doesn't matter who you have on the outside if you have a limited quarterback. There were talks yesterday at halftime. Are we going to see Carson Wentz in the third quarter? No, you're not. But is there a question that should be raised as far as moving forward, what we're going to do at quarterback? We're sure as hell not going to see Sam Howell. I mean, really? Who knows? This is Washington, D.C., and the quarterback carousel keeps on turning. Hell, I might get a call here in the next 20 minutes telling me to suit up for the practice squad. I don't know. The carousel keeps on spinning in Washington because we just haven't found our answer. Is it this year in the draft? Are we trading up for Anthony Richardson or trying to make a move for a C.J. Stroud or a Will Levis? No, I don't think so. I think the answer is in the building, in the form of Sam Howell. I really do. I like Sam Howell a lot. They like him inside that building a lot. But it frustrates me to the upteenth degree that we have limitations at quarterback that doesn't allow us to reach that performance ceiling and consistently put the ball in the end zone. This is our window for success right now. You just paid Terry McLaurin. Jahan Dotson's a rookie. You just paid John Allen last year. Deron Payne you're going to have to pay. Montez Sweat. Who knows what you're going to do with Chase Young. This is year three of Chase Young. And really, we've only seen one year of the kid. This is year three of Chase Young in the NFL. We've seen him for one year. Hasn't played in over a year. And who knows if he's playing this year. As of right now, I'm not expecting Chase Young to do anything. And I'm not saying he's or talk about his potential impact until we get a firm yes, 100%, number 99 will be on the field from Ron Rivera. I just don't want to talk about the Chase Young thing anymore. I really don't. It's tiring. Until he's on the football field, they could have used him last night. Kayvon Thibodeau is exactly what Washington thought Chase Young was going to be. Kayvon Thibodeau was flat out dominant last night. Flat out dominant. Charles Leno, Cornelius Lucas had no answer for the rookie out of Oregon absolutely dominant. He looks like a game wrecker to be, you know, five, 10 years down the road is going to be an absolute stud for this Giants team. And on the opposite side, you got a guy like Aziz Ojolari who broke the Giants rookie record in sacks last year coming off the opposite side of five tech. 
That's a good group of two that really Washington thought they would have with Montez Sweat and Chase Young. I thought Sweat's had a good year. But Chase Young, who knows? Who knows what's going on with number 99 and when he will play? Maybe it's next week. Is it 49ers? Not going to be easy. Cleveland, not going to be easy. Dallas, not going to be easy. Now, maybe you're trying to think, oh, the last game of the year, Dallas clinched a playoff spot last night with the Commanders losing. Maybe they try to sit back and kind of maybe rest some starters and maybe 49ers do the same. They've clinched up the NFC West, but they're battling for the two seed in the NFC with the Vikings because right now, Washington's the seven seed. They play Minnesota in the playoff start today. Last night, they won that game. They're the six seed. They play the 49ers. So right now, I'd rather play Minnesota than San Francisco because of San Francisco's defense. And again, I will get into their unit more on Thursday. But last night was just so extremely frustrating. And how I want to wrap up this pod is I do want to talk about the refs. And especially the back end of that ballgame. Because it seems, and I hate to be like this, that the league will do anything to hamper the success of the Burgundy and Gold. They just won't allow us to be good. They won't allow us to have anything nice. It's unfortunate that way, but Terry McLaurin talked about it after the game, how he is so detail-oriented. He is detail-oriented. I think we all understand that. I think, I think we know that Terry McLaurin understands how to align on the line of scrimmage as the elves were made on the outside. I think we understand that Terry McLaurin knows how to do that. Points over to the ref to indicate that he's on the line of scrimmage. Ref helps him move up. He points at him again, and he's still holding his flag. He's pointing at him twice. Really, in that retrospect, you can't throw the flag. He's looked at you twice. Now, you can't challenge, obviously, a penalty call. That, that's not in the rules. You can challenge everything else in this world. You can't challenge that. can't challenge a penalty. The DPI of Curtis Samuel is absolutely ridiculous. I hate blaming the refs. Ask anybody. I hate blaming the refs. Because you make your own luck and you win the ballgame. You're able to punch the ball in the end zone more so times in that first half. You're not worrying about the refs. But you rush for a touchdown on Brian Robinson. Finally giving him at the goal line. Now, I didn't like that we were in shotgun. Going back four yards to go forward two yards. So you're really turning a two-yard carry into a six-yard carry for Brian Robinson at that point. Punches in the end zone. Did anybody think he was going to be stopped at the goal line? Not myself. 225 pounds running hot. Couldn't stop him anyway. Got in, the, got in the end zone. Flag. Then you throw the DPI and Curtis Samuel to end the ball game. So many things just added up. The Joey Sly missed extra point after the PAT that got taken away early in the ball game, going for two. That was a rub route that every single team in college football and the NFL run boat can't do it in Washington. Can't do it. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the refs. But I did want to talk about it a little bit because obviously the impact that it had in the ballgame. And when it's egregious like that, the DPI, especially on Curtis Samuel, the ball should have been placed at the one and should have been fourth and goal. But you have to take advantage of your own opportunities and put the ball in the end zone when you have the opportunity to do so. And you can't turn the ball over inside the red zone. Especially as a quarterback fumbling going to the ground. You can't do it. You have to put the ball in the end zone. You got the weapons to do so. You had two weeks to prepare. You got away from the run game, as we usually do. 12 carries for Antonio, for excuse me, for Brian Robinson is not enough. He's become one of the younger back, one, one of the most physical young backs in the NFL. And he finally got his legs turning yesterday. He should have easily been over 100 yards. He had 60 yards in the first quarter. And he ended up with 89 on the day. 
I thought he was going to have a 130, 40-yard day. Multiple touchdowns. He was rolling. 12 carries is not enough. I would have liked to see Brian Robinson tease with 25 carries last night the way he was running the ball. Again, almost 7.5 yards a carry. Heineke carried it three times for 33 yards. That's 11 yards a pop. Washington ran the ball well yesterday. They're better in the run game than they are in pass pro. Why are we getting away from it? This is late December football in the NFC East. Run the ball. Run the ball. And stick with it. Because yesterday it worked. And what's the best way to counter a pass rush? Run the ball down their throat. That's how you counter a pass rush. Okay, Kayvon Thibodeau, you want to pursue upfield every time we're, and we're dropping back to pass? Let's run it right at you. Let's see how you do there. And at times yesterday, again, it worked. He made a couple nice plays in the flat areas of the defense. He's athletic to do so. But continue to run the ball, the two-hole, the four-hole, the one-hole, the three-hole, inside the center, inside the, outside the guard's shoulder. Continue to pound those holes. That's where Washington was best yesterday, and we got away from it, especially moving into that second half. 30 degrees, December football, playoff football. You run the ball. I get it. The NFL is sexy nowadays. The Justin Herberts, Joe Burrows, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, the Miami offense with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and Tua slinging the thing around. Yeah, it's fun when both your... Look at Philadelphia yesterday. Two receivers over 100 yards with Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown. Washington could have had that yesterday. Drahan Dotson had 105 yards. McLaurin had 70. But run the ball. You win in the trenches, you win football games. I get it, both in, in run blocking and in pass pro. But when you got a guy 225 pounds running like that yesterday, continue to feed the horse. Put, put him on your back and just let him to go. He's a workhorse. He's a bell cow. Brian Robinson is a damn Clydesdale. Put the offense on his shoulders and go. Run over somebody. He did that yesterday. I would have liked to see Washington force the Giants to play inside out. What I mean by that, make their corners tackle, make their linebackers cover. They did that a little bit in the first quarter, but do more of it. Corners don't want to tackle Brian Robinson 30 degrees. I don't. I know they don't. Fabian Moreau, it took us 30 minutes to realize he's a below average corner for Terry, Moore, Terry McLaurin, that he could beat him every single route on man, man-to-man because we know Wink Martindale is going to send blitzes. He did it all day yesterday. Now, he didn't send a ton of pressures. They even did some unique things where they were sending linebackers out in the flat on Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson, then dropping into zone in the back half of the defense. That was a unique look, excuse me, a unique look that they threw at Washington's offense yesterday. But he wanted to pressure Taylor Heineke to beat them with his arm, and he couldn't. Again, a couple nice throws here and there, but there is no consistency there and a threat. And that fourth and nine that Brian Dayball went for in that part of that ball game was a big, fat F-U to Washington's offense as far as their ability to score. Fourth and nine. They weren't inside the 20, not inside the 10. They were barely across midfield. Right at the 40-yard line, I believe. And they're going for it on fourth and nine with time on the clock. But it took us 30 minutes to realize we can just isolate Terry McLaurin or Fabian Monroe, hit him on screens, hit him on little comeback routes, run him on a go route, run him on a... I don't care, a seven-yard slant over the middle field, allow him to use his speed. 
We didn't run any mesh concepts yesterday with guys working over the middle of the field, forcing guys to cover. We saw that touchdown to Terry McLaurin back in week 13. That crosser across the middle of the field, forcing Fabian Moreau to chase him across the mess of the second level. That's a touchdown pass. Why does it take so long to realize that Terry McLaurin needs the ball in his hands? I'm, and I'm not asking Taylor Heineke to be some world beater at quarterback and make all these crazy throws. Just get it in his hands. Somehow, allow your athletes to be athletes. You have to force the Giants to cover every blade of grass. And you didn't do that yesterday. You didn't. A couple times, a couple of the series, you saw Washington drive the ball down the field when they had a little bit of success through the air. Which makes me think you find someone with consistency that can consistently push the ball through the air with their arm shows me the performance ceiling of this offense. They were driving down the field in that second, really in that fourth quarter, multiple times. They just couldn't punch it in the end zone. And that was the ultimate theme of the day, was missed opportunities. Creating your own luck and just winning ball games. Two straight, really, I I count last week, uh, two weeks ago against the Giants as a loss. It's not a win. I get it, it's not a loss in the win column, but it's a tie. And again, this week, you allowed 20 points again, but you only scored 12. 12 points with two weeks of prep is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. And right now, you're the seventh seed with the Lions playing good ball. They have an easy schedule these next three weeks. You get the Seahawks at 7-7. Seven and seven. We're 7-6 seven and six with a huge game coming up on Christmas Eve against the San Francisco 49ers. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, please leave a like, review, share, subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. All of my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. Again, I will have a full preview out for you of the San Francisco 49ers, the NFC West division champion, San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, their menacing front seven led by Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw at that second level. We'll get into all of their ballplayers that they have, Nick Bosa along that front four that yeah, we're going to get into the San Francisco 49ers on Thursday. But for now, I appreciate you guys' time. Last night was frustrating. It's not the end of the world. The limitations are obviously there for this Washington roster on both sides of the ball that they have to improve upon if they will look to punch their ticket to the postseason as we move into you know next week with Christmas and then two weeks down the line with Cleveland and Dallas coming to town to end the regular season. So thank you guys, as always, for your time. I will talk to you on Thursday. Enjoy the start of your work week. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.